0: The Me Too movement, COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, climate change, mass shootings, the insurrection on January 6th.
1: Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm Sarah Colantonio. And I'm Kedron Crosby. Our intention for the Behaviors podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Thank you for joining us today for this conversation about tumult. Isn't tumult. it? Yes, tumult. So for many hours today, I noticed you've been reading a book called One-ing.
0: Mm, yeah, I, I have been. Um, yeah, it's a book that's a compilation of articles written by mostly psychologists and psychiatrists about trauma and how individuals and communities move through trauma And it's really got us thinking about leading through times of tumult. And so for the last year, at least, much of our conversation with uh, our clients has has sounded like this. (laughs) How on earth am I supposed to lead my organization when fill in the blank Mm -hmm. is happening? And so there have been so many episodes of collective trauma, uh, tumult. And, um, the challenge that many of us have had to learn over the last year is how do we still lead? How do we still inspire and motivate our teams during these times? And, uh, even how do we help people grow together and heal during this growth And sometimes it's collective awareness that we didn't really have before. Yeah.
1: You mentioned before this idea of consciousness raising. Mm -hmm. And if you take, for example, Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of folks, it's like a surprise, even Mm -hmm. though this has been happening and happening and happening. and But for a lot of people, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they're learning about history mm-hmm. and they're learning about maybe their coworkers mm-hmm. and their experience and not sure how to handle it. I, I feel like in that um, confusion and fear, um, I think there's been a lot of questions coming up.
0: Mm-hmm. I think for everyone. Yeah. So for, certainly for people of color and also for white folks who are trying to figure out how do they, now that they know what they know, how do they get on the right side of history? And so um, it's definitely, that that has been one of the many um, collective Mm consciousness-raising events um, that has happened over the last couple of years. Obviously, the Me Too movement um, as well. There were so many people who said, what? (laughs) What? I've never heard of this. And so many of us saying, well, it's happened to everyone we know. um, So I don't know where you've been. But uh, I think the challenge as a leader is, is when there's such disparate experiences helping everyone move through it um, and not harm each other yeah. or further harm the team um, and then if you're a business how do you also make money along the way <laughs> <laughs> which is the which is leveling up so not only do we need to inspire and create communities of healing, but we need to make sure that we're being strategic and productive and profitable along the way.
1: It sounds impossible.
0: <laughs> and so that was our last episode of The Behaviorist. Thanks for tuning in. It's not impossible, but it is, uh, it is a great way to grow. Uh, And I, you know, again, this year, I have just been awestruck by how entrepreneurship and being a business owner is a fast track for growing as a human, (laughs) (laughs) for trying to figure out how to get, um, well, even more humble um, and also lead others through really challenging uh, times and grow together, and and still like each other. Um, yeah, and then there's profit too. Yeah. yeah. So when
1: somebody comes to you and asks that question you were posing before, like, "How the heck am I supposed to do this?" What what have you learned? What what? How do you answer that question?
0: Well, the first thing is always to be contextual. So to understand where that person is coming from what the tumult in their organization looks like, um, and and then respond contextually. Okay. Um, so I, I don't think that we can give a blanket recipe, although maybe we'll try for the sake of this podcast today. But uh, every organization is experiencing different levels of tumult and mm-hmm. trauma. And... Um, So, so I think, you know, universally, uh, what, what's good medicine for almost every organization is moving towards, um, a culture of naming emotions and naming events and, um, being able to have language around one's own emotional intelligence, um, and, uh, using, Language and um, having healthy ways to name what it is that they've experienced. So whether it's an external event um, like the murder of George Floyd, and being able to name what the individual might be experiencing, um, that's that's helpful. Um, Being able to also name feelings um, when when one doesn't feel they have a voice. And so naming it, I think, is a is a first step. So that might be introducing emotional intelligence and the feelings wheel and um, sort of normalizing that the leaders talk about emotions and that leaders talk about their own healing as well, which is really probably a second universally good ingredient uh, in trying to help leaders manage through tumult, which is norming it. And so norming in the workplace um, that therapy is a thing and a lot of us do it and and we feel that it's healthy. Um, at Work Wisdom, everyone gets four therapy sessions a year um, and they don't have to use them, but they're paid for and they're sitting there and we'll never know if they use them because it's all confidential. But that That's a way to norm um, emotions and that we go through tumult as long as we're human and we have to figure out how to, um, we want to figure out how to grow and heal from these kinds of situations. I also think there are some interesting rituals that organizations can have that help them move through Tumult. Um, So in the work of William Bridges around transition management, marking an ending um, that might be really difficult for an organization, maybe it had something to do with their identity, but marking it um, it, it, with a ritual, um, maybe it's a cake to send off software they don't use anymore or some division that they have sold, but some sort of ritual for dealing with difficult emotions. Certainly, over the last year, we've seen more and more uh, grieving circles that can happen w- when when a coworker has passed, or um, the loved one of a coworker has passed. That that psychologists or therapists will be brought into the organization for a grieving time, and that can be a really healthy ritual yeah. that can help people process. So I this
1: might sound cold-blooded, but is there a point at which it's too much? Can you name
0: emotions too much? Can you norm it too much? Well is it um I I think that we have to remember that the workplace has become where we also Socialize and where we have friendships and we have community. So I think once upon a time, we had churches and the Elks Club and the Ladies Auxiliary <laughs> and those kinds of things. And I think that the workplace has usurped um, that role in our lives as humans. So I think that understanding that emotions and relationships are part of work, now is incredibly important for leaders, that they have to understand that they are um, creating spaces for for those. So I think it's incredibly important that we recognize that everyone has their own appetite for how much they want to talk about emotions. You know, if we're working with here I go stereotyping an engineering firm, um, it might be different than a social justice nonprofit that we're working with. So how much they wanna talk about those things might might vary. And again, thinking about it contextually, I think it depends on the individual. Um, we talk a lot about an Enneagram and emotional intelligence at work wisdom. So I think it has a lot to do with our training as well you know, if, if an individual is, um, moving through trauma as well, and they are processing their own trauma, um, one aspect, and we are neither Sarah or I are psychologists. We're certainly hoping to hire a psychologist (laughs) sometime soon. Um, your your bachelor's is in psychology and I've dropped out of two um, (laughs) psychology doctorate degrees. Um, But so um, what my understanding is, is that people who are moving through trauma may withdraw. And um, so they may be less interested in having group conversations about mm-hmm. feelings mm-hmm. you know and as the leader you might be saying hey let's get together to process our feelings about what happened um with george floyd and that may be the exact opposite thing that right. uh folks on your team want want to do that day especially if they're feeling uh traumatized mm-hmm. by what's happened so I think it's it's good to be sensitive mm-hmm. I think as much as possible to try and keep some of these offerings really all of these kinds of offerings voluntary mm-hmm. you know um I think to try and force someone to go to a grief circle is a terrible idea yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. come if come if you feel led mm-hmm. okay what do you think about that
1: well I I think that we do talk about emotional intelligence so much and how important it is to to learn about so you can grow and be the best person that you can be and but I also I I know it's called emotional intelligence but I I don't think of it as being like overly emotional or processing my emotions. It's to me it's more complex than that But mm. um, I, As you were talking I was just imagining People pushing back to And that one That one company that's like You can't talk about this stuff You can't talk about politics You can't talk about mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter you can't, you can't talk about Any of it You just have to come and work And that seems like The other extreme as well mm-hmm. Because we're human And we have emotions And And the things that happen, whether in our families or,
0: you know, in our society, it's, it, it is affecting us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see those. It's a couple of companies now that have gone in the direction of you can't talk about, here's the list of things you can't talk about at work. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a great article, was it in the New Yorker, maybe three weeks ago, about Essentially, self-regulation, and that the author was saying that her experience of emotional intelligence growing up back in the oh, yeah. Daniel Goleman days was that it was an excuse to shut people down, mm-hmm. so that they would not um, speak up and and be champions or advocates or you know um, stir the pot. <laughs> and so people were saying, ah, "Emotional intelligence, shut it down." And so, so anyhow, it's, it is complicated yeah. for sure. Um, and I think context and honestly relationship is the best way to gauge, how are we doing here? Are we talking too much? Are we talking too little? Video ask. You can take a poll um, <laughs> and recalibrate using some good old fashioned data.
1: Yeah, and I think it speaks to, to people's experience Uh, difference in experience um you know i think for some people working remotely because of covid was wonderful for them i also know people that didn't change their work situation they still had to go to work and you know put their put themselves at risk so
0: well and you know speaking of 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 remote work, I've heard leaders who say it's such a joy because we we aren't having conflict mm-hmm. and we're not having uh, you know small talk that gets us into trouble. <laughs> and so, in some ways, the remote work has been fantastic for minimizing tumult within the work teams. Yeah. Um, So we'll see what happens after the next couple of weeks when people go back to work. Yeah. I mean, so
1: it's true there's been less uh, commuting and less conflict, but we've also seen in the research this huge spike in anxiety and depression. Absolutely. So the two tips that you talked about in order to lead through tumult is to name it and
0: to (laughs) and then to norm it. Yeah, you know, I definitely think that naming it and norming it can help. You know, you want to think in norming it, you want to think about your culture as well. So, uh, and this could be a whole nother podcast, but I I think that some organizations have shifted their culture over the last year and some of it has been intentional and some maybe unintentional. Um, If you think about, the competing values framework, which is one of my two favorite uh, culture frameworks, you can think about how um, basically you've got these four types of culture, uh, hierarchy, family culture, market culture, and adhocracy. And um, I won't go into it, but you know, for us, we very intentionally swung from adhocracy, which is all about independence, flexibility, um, external stakeholder and creativity. We swung from there to what we call the family culture, um, which is all about supporting each other, talking it through, (laughs) being collaborative. Um, and so that was pretty intentional. I don't know if we'll swing back to ad hocracy, we've we've kind of tucked in as a family culture, and that's changed us a lot. But but it was it was necessary over the last year. Mm, okay. So I would think that's part of norming it, you know. But I think there are ones that are more playful too, like like making it so you can name it and you can norm it, but you can make it. And I think that uh, when a team is going through tumult, leaning into something that's more playful, um, times where there can be uh, moments of connection and joy and creativity and, um, you know, maker space is good. Um, thinking, thinking about something with your hands, um, thinking about how in- interesting that humans are when they, when they get some craft in their hand, whether it's collage or they're stitch and bitching, or they are whittling wood or whatever that is, that um, they have really good conversations and they can have healing conversations sort of like the the you know when you go on that long drive kind of conversation. Mm.
1: What about uh what about the creativity that goes into making an Instagram reel?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think reels are really fun. Yeah, I I often think Um, I don't even care if anybody watches our reels because you and Christy or Randy or me or whoever, you know, had so much fun in pulling these things together. (laughs) It's more about the joy of coming together and being creative. Um, You know, I think there are some other things like Masterclass. We, We watch Masterclass all together as a team and then come together with some activities around whatever the master class is and I think that can be playful and healing because we're, we're growing in cohesion too
1: yeah our class that we just had with David Sedaris I thought was such a bonding time mm-hmm. <laughs> with the team mm-hmm. and it did feel creative too in, in a weird way um,
0: well the prompts that you were asking yeah oh yeah, yeah. I think that was really creative yeah, yeah. and super bonding and healing and we weren't coming at any trauma head on but we were all talking about really deep meaningful even challenging times that we've had and this might
1: not be considered as fun but it made me think of it when you said making things together we create a lot of content we like curriculum and we've been working on some things and We've had these sessions collectively as a, as a team where we give each other feedback mm-hmm. and work on it together, and that feels amazing too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> too to be able to share ideas and hear other people's perspective on it, like what about this or what about this, and it does feel again. It's not. It's not directly related to anyone's. You know trauma or difficulties it's it's creation, and maybe that's maybe it's just a distraction <laughs> I don't know, but no. it feels amazing
0: i I think sometimes it is i mean if you think about especially our work around equity, that's absolutely directly related to some of our trauma no. on the team true um around. All kinds of inequity, yeah. um, and so it feels—it's that locus of control, it's that sense of efficacy and agency, um, and maybe no one will ever hear us talk about these things, but maybe we can be helpful, mm-hmm. and yeah. so that—that that does feel pretty healing, mm-hmm. I think, in, in a good way. Um, you know, I think that also we want to think as leaders who are moving through moving our teams of people through times of tum- tumult, we want to think about the built environment. Mm. So maybe they're not in the built environment all the time, but we want to think about maybe our offices, but maybe also their home offices yeah. and, you know, the cockpits that people, uh, our teams are creating in their homes. Is there any way that we can make those um more healing spaces. Um, Our offices are changing. So we don't need our offices as much as places to do work. And we need them more to be places to build cohesion and maybe creativity um, and have deeper, maybe one-on-one conversations. So I know we're changing our built environment and, and maybe some others as well. Thinking about um, nature as much as possible. So I know that nature is a great healer of people who've experienced trauma. Yeah. And so thinking about how do we bring nature in or how do we move our workplaces into nature? Um, really neat organization in Baltimore that we've gotten to be friends with um, that is very interested in creating exterior outside workplaces So, (laughs) yeah, they're super cool. Um, So I think that's another one. You know, obviously moving our bodies as much as possible is important and trying to create norms around that. So whether it's in the workplace or just creating works, uh, normal, normal, um, you know, conversations around how we're all making sure that we are moving our bodies so that we are moving through times of tumult, uh, recognizing the importance of our, our physical um, movement mm-hmm. to manage some of that uh, emotion. What are you thinking about that? I,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of research that supports exercise and movement as, uh, as, as like almost a therapy. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about how it can be brought into the workplace because one of the things that I've found works really well with working from home is I'm more likely to take the dogs out for a quick walk mm-hmm. versus just like looking at my phone <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. And, and collectively over time, the more I'm doing that, it's, it's just like a better way to deal with a, a moment of stress mm-hmm. or if I need to clear my head or if I'm trying to figure something out. Um, and so it's interesting. I, I I like that idea of thinking about how it can be incorporated more. The other thing about our office, though, is Christy brought in a little scooter. I forget what she calls it.
0: It's Goldilocks.
1: Oh, Goldilocks. Yeah, she yeah. even
0: put golden hair on it.
1: So it, yeah. So even <laughs> to go with our roller skates. Yeah, it kind of goes with the with the playing stuff. Mm-hmm. Where, um, but it's a way to just clear your mind and kind of move around mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great method.
0: Yeah, um, I, I prefer the roller skating to yoga. But Christy is also a yoga instructor. I think I prefer yoga too. Mm-hmm. Less
1: chance of me falling on my butt. Yeah. I kind of. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important to think about um, moving it, moving our bodies as much as possible. And Kate talks about perma all the time um, and thinking about the 40% of our well-being that we can control. And so that H... At the end of Perma is about health, and so m- making sure that we're being intentional about that. You know, I also think that understanding that as leaders we are contagious, we are probably the most emotionally contagious uh, person in the organization. Yeah. If in fact we have uh, referent power, and so managing our own emotions as good as as best we can. Um, Doing our own emotional hand-washing before we get into the workplace is key. And and then also really thinking about our role as leaders as uh, managing the space between ourself and another person. So our resonance is really what we're thinking about. What are the vibrations that we're putting out? Others are picking up and hopefully vibrating back something that's positive so um, how we relate to each other especially during times of tumult is is critically important and I'm the first one to admit that I am not always great at this Mm. Um, but it's definitely something that is challenging me to become a better human (laughs) Um, as I think about being a leader in the workplace so those are some of my thoughts
1: yeah I was really I was really moved by what you had been researching and how relationships relating is how we get to healing Mm. and so of course there's a lot of work we have to do on our own but that it takes compassion Mm -hmm. from another Mm -hmm. (laughs) to really um to get to that spot. Yeah,
0: I know. It's so interesting to think about it as the role of the workplace is changing. Yeah. Uh, what is the role of leader as compassionate journeymate? Yeah. You know, is that is that my job now? Um, to be a compassionate journeymate? <laughs> yeah. um, and I think to some degree it is. Maybe I'm not m- most qualified to do that. But, I can do my best to make sure that there are resources out there for for folks. I think the the really wonderful thing that leaders can think about is how can we not further traumatize right. the people in our workplace um, by our habits, by our norms in our workplace? So maybe we can help them heal, but at the very least, let's not further traumatize people, yeah
1: it It speaks to a question I often hear you ask, which is um not just what are you going to add to move ahead, but what are you going to drop mm-hmm. <laughs> so in order to not hurt uh or harm mm-hmm. each other
0: yeah i think I think a lot of this comes down to um becoming more egoless, yeah, yeah, so you know thinking about how can we do a better job of serving our teams um, in community Mm -hmm. and seeing ourselves as having the responsibility of creating really healthy, vibrant communities. And there's so much data that goes along with the fact that if everyone's really living into their flourishing best selves, productivity will increase. And we'll have more great ideas and profitability will, you know, skyrocket and all of those kinds of things. So um focusing on the inputs as a leader is really is really key. But it doesn't always work. I was gonna say I have
1: one more question for you, which is, you know, I mean you talk about the naming and norming and, and making together the built environment, um, moving our bodies, relationships resonating. What if what if none of
0: this works what then (laughs) yeah i've i've too often seen leaders um struggling and and uh, almost becoming julie mccoy the cruise director from the love boat in trying to orchestrate uh, all kinds of ways that that they can help people move through trauma um, or times of tumult i think uh all we can do is the best we can do. And so I think we can use our money to hire resources that are expert. I think we can use our influence to norm um, healthy behaviors. And uh, I think we can tell stories about how we've moved through trauma ourselves. But y- you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make them drink. Um, and so, um, I, I think what we, what we do when none of it works is, um, we try and consciously uncouple perhaps from, from the individual or, um, from the organization even. And I think there's a way to move, uh, just as Gwyneth Paltrow and who was she married to? The musician. I don't remember his name. I forget his name too, but uh, you know, that when they broke up, they consciously uncoupled. It wasn't an ugly divorce, but it was, a uh, we're not serving each other anymore. And you can be someplace, um, that allows you to flourish and I can be someplace that allows me to flourish. So I think that that is some leveling up that Mm -hmm. leaders need to learn myself included Mm -hmm. about how to, uh what to do when none of it works. It may be that it's not meant to be. I, I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Thank
1: you so much for having, having this conversation. Thank you listeners for downloading The Behaviorist. We hope that you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy work with some press and productions, ask questions, and suggest topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we're going to leave you with a one minute wisdom by Anthony DeMello. A woman in great distress over the death of her son came to the master for comfort. He listened to her patiently while she poured out her tale of woe. Then he said softly, I cannot wipe away your tears, my dear. I can only teach you how to make them holy.